0: Today's reading is from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 56, and then Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 8. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father! Into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him including the women who had followed followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb, and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they, rest, <coughs> excuse me, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, Remember how he told to you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be live, delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. God bless the reading of his word.
1: A few years ago I read a book, something that's not unusual for me to do. Um, and it's an autobiography of someone called Brian Irvin. Now, that name will probably mean nothing to most of you. Um, if I tell you that he was a successful professional footballer, then you'll understand why it doesn't mean anything to an awful lot of you. But Brian Irvin played for most of his career uh, for Aberdeen Football Club. And he was both successful and he was healthy. And then one day all of that changed. He had been feeling too well and he went to uh, have investigations and he was told that uh, the diagnosis was multiple sclerosis. That is a very serious and pretty devastating news for anyone to hear. But if you're a professional footballer, then that means it's going to have a tremendous impact on your career. He decided to write about his experience and he entitled the book, What a Difference a Day Makes. Until that happened, he was a successful, healthy footballer with what he thought was quite a long career ahead of him. And in summing up that experience, he summed it up in these words, What a Difference a Day Makes. For the women who followed Jesus that we've read about that first Easter weekend, I think that was their experience. They'd been on this roller coaster experience, really, over the course of the few days of that weekend. From noon on the Friday, watching Jesus die on the cross, then watching him being buried, turning up at his grave on the Sunday morning uh, to, be, to be told he's not here, he has risen. And maybe their reaction was a little bit like Brian Irvin. As they thought back over the weekend, seeing him being crucified, seeing him being buried, and now coming to an empty tomb and being told he's not actually here, he's risen. Maybe their reaction was, what a difference a day makes. I hope that at the end of today, that's what you'll think. What a difference a day makes, because this day that we're celebrating today has made a difference to the whole world. It has changed history. And it has changed not only the lives of those of us who claim to be Christians following Jesus, but it has claimed every, it's changed everything, whether you're a Christian or whether you are not. Mary read to us the backstory to the Easter Sunday, the day that we celebrate today. And these, these women who had followed Jesus so faithfully were really puzzled. Not only had they been witnesses to the fact he died, they had been witnesses to the fact he'd been buried. So why was his body not there? They had seen it being buried there. Maybe you feel the same. Maybe you're really puzzled this morning. Maybe you're really puzzled also about the fact that why would we celebrate this anyway? An event that happened 2,000 years ago. Why should we still celebrate that? That's a very good question. And I want to just look at that question and try and answer that question as to why we should celebrate Easter Sunday. Why is it such a big deal? And it is a big deal. Well, it's a big deal firstly because if you're a Christian this morning, you're basing your Christian life on it. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, please do not claim that you have a Christian faith. Because what you're claiming is just futile. John Stott, a very respected uh, minister who, who lived just a, died just a few years ago, he puts it really strongly. He's a man that I had a tremendous admiration for, and I wouldn't argue with what he said. But he puts it very, very strongly. Christianity is, in its very essence, a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is dead. That's very strong, but I believe very, very accurate. Take away the resurrection of Jesus, you take away the Christian faith. It's also good to remember it because it's something which is a historical fact. It's not a myth. It's not fake news. It wasn't done in secret. The whole city of Jerusalem knew about it and eventually the whole of the Roman Empire. It was big news. And if Sky or BBC had been around at that point, they would have covered it live. It was a big event. There are at least 15 historical references to Jesus meeting people, touching people, talking with people, and even one day making breakfast for some people. He talked to at least 500 people. So 500 people were witnesses to the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. A lot of people saw him. It's a historical event that changed the world. You know, even if you're here this morning and, and you don't believe in Jesus or you're just not quite sure, then actually he's still a reference point for you. He's a reference point for every one of us. Every time you write a letter and you put the date on it, or maybe you write an email these days and you put a date on it, Every time you put an appointment in your diary, you put in a reference point that refers to Jesus. 2022 years from what? 2022 years from the time that Jesus came to this earth. From the time that God came in the form of a man to this earth. He split history into before Christ and after christ a.d so every time you write a date jesus is the reference point of that date i want to look this morning at three reasons why his death and his resurrection is important first of all because it tells us that jesus is who he claimed to be It tells us that Jesus has the power he claimed to have, and it tells us that Jesus does what he promised to do. Looking at the first of these, Jesus is who he claimed to be. In order to understand that, we have to think what did he claim? Well, actually, we have to be quite honest and say that Jesus made some quite outrageous claims. He said he was perfect. He said that he was the only way to heaven. He said that he was the savior of the world. I believe it's quite reverent this morning to to actually say either he was who he said he was or he was a liar. These are very strong claims that he made. John 14 and 6 which is on the screen. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can get to God the Father except by means of me. Very important to to see what Jesus was saying, but also to see what Jesus was not saying. He was not saying, I'm one way, I'm a good way. He was saying, I am the way. That's something which is really contested fiercely by people today. People don't like that claim that he made. But if we think about it, If we think that there are many ways and many roads that lead to God, does that really make sense? If you wanted to leave Edinburgh today and you wanted to go to London and you decided, I'll just pick any old road and I'll get there, that just wouldn't happen. If you come out of Edinburgh and head north, you're going to have a long, long route to get to London, if you ever get there. There's only one route to London, but there is a way, That is the right way to go, or you won't get there. So that's the first claim Jesus made. I am the way to God. Then he said, I am the truth. He was meaning that any other truth is not the truth, and it's not actually right. He also said in Mark 10 and 34, and this is the bit that I want to really concentrate on because this is what really proves his claim to be who he claimed to be before he was crucified before he died he said they will mock me spit on me flog me with a whip and kill me but after three days i will rise again this was before it all happened and he actually very specifically described it because every one of these things happened And that last one, but after three days I will rise again, for me, proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be because he did rise again after three days. Secondly, Jesus has the power he claimed to have. He, he said in the, he says in the Bible, all power on earth and heaven um, is given to me. But he also said in in John 10 and 18, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Many people look at the crucifixion and they think that Jesus was overwhelmed, that the Romans and the Jews were victorious and Jesus was actually defeated. He was the one that was crucified. When actually the truth of that whole situation is that he was offering up his life he was laying it down he was saying nobody will take it from me i'll lay it down a very arrogant claim i have the power to take it up again and that's exactly what he did the romans killed him they put him in a tomb they put a massive stone in front of the tomb They sealed it with a Roman seal and then they put a 24-hour guard on it. And all they were trying to do was prevent the inevitable. Because they could not stand against the power of Jesus to do what he said he was going to do. And that was rise um, from the dead. And thirdly, Jesus does what he promises I've already thought about that from Mark 10 and 34. They will mock me and flog and kill me, but after three days I will come back to life. I wonder how you would have felt if you were one of the people involved in Jesus' death. And you publicly executed him in front of people, in front of thousands of people. Thousands of witnesses saw him die then you have him buried and just to really make sure that he doesn't do what he promised to do you put a very heavy stone across the front of his grave a stone that could not be moved by only one person and then you think I'll just put a seal on that and we'll be able to tell if that seal is broken and we'll put a 24 hour guard plenty safeguards to stop this man doing what he said he was going to do and then three days later here he is walking around the city not how you would feel probably very frustrated maybe a bit angry I think surely you would want to have an answer how did this happen how could this happen after all the safeguards that we put in place the message to the woman who came to the tomb was don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. So he was able to fulfill the promise that he had made. That gives us tremendous confidence as we hold on to Jesus' promises today. If he could rise from the dead and fulfil a promise like that then I think he can fulfil all the promises that he makes uh, to each one of us so that's what it means about Jesus what does that actually mean for us and I want to look very briefly at some things that it means for us first of all it means that we, we share in the everlasting life of Jesus How does the Bible explain that? Well, the Bible explains that when we commit to Jesus, convert to Christianity, call it what you like, when we commit to Jesus, when we are reborn, a spiritual union takes place between him and us. If you like, call it a bond. A living, unbreakable attachment to Jesus. And the whole point of this union is that Jesus' death and his resurrection would count as our death and our resurrection. When we become Christians, many things happen. But when we become Christians, there is a new security that we have immediately. Not because of ourselves, but through Jesus. We have a confidence and actually we become immortal now let me qualify that we will die physically and yet if you are a christian believing in the death and resurrection of jesus christ to cover your sin if you're in a union with jesus you will physically die but you will never experience the full destructive power of death don't take my words for that please jesus said i am the resurrection and the life Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That we will die physically. But we too will share in this resurrection power of Jesus and we will be raised again on the basis of Jesus' resurrection power. What a tremendous promise, what a tremendous effect of being in this union with Jesus. We also... Uh, gain and receive a new identity if you look back to when you became a Christian if others were looking on I guess they wouldn't see anything very spectacular changing they wouldn't actually see anything sensational changing about you and yet something sensational did happen something that's hidden in many ways And I want you to listen to what this actually is. How is this this described in the Bible? In 1 John 3 and 1 it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So when we converted to Christ we received this new identity We became part of his family and we had the right to call ourselves children of God because that is what we are the Bible says and we have this incredible amazing right to actually address God the everlasting God as Father that's some identity and that identity only comes because we are in union with the risen Jesus I hope today, if you are a Christian, that you're actually thrilled by that fact. You are now a part of another family. You are part of God's family. And you have been given the right by him to call him Father. That is incredible. Next, we receive the continual help of Jesus There's a verse in John 14 where Jesus says an an incredible thing. Uh, And for me, it it, it is an expression of the compassion of Jesus. He says to his disciples, they were distressed because he had been explaining to them that he was going to leave them. And he says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. It's an incredible thing for Jesus to say, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now, that was describing uh, what would happen later when the the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts uh, came and lived in Jesus' disciples. So Jesus is not just with us. Jesus is in us through his Holy Spirit. And he is our friend, our helper, um, and he's there all the time, all the way home. To heaven. Think about that. You see we were never meant to. Live this life. On our own power. And I think most of us would. Probably admit. That when we try to do that. We come a cropper. We fail. Ephesians uh, 1 and 20. It says how incredibly great. Is his power the power of Jesus. To help those who believe him. And the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. That that same power that brought about that monumental historical event is available to us. And we can tap into that power. At any time, all through our lives. In fact, God encourages us to do that to rely on him and not to rely um, on ourselves also we are given power to live righteously now i have to have a wee disclaimer here because the word righteous gets a really bad press if we say somebody is self-righteous we're not paying them a compliment quite often we would describe people as that When the Bible talks about righteousness, that's the very opposite of what it's meaning. It's not about us, it's not about self. It's about a righteousness or a rightness that comes because of this union with Jesus Christ. Romans 7 and 4 says, Now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God these good deeds let me be very clear are not good deeds that will merit us any favor with god they are not good deeds that will mean that that's our vehicle our way uh, into heaven we've looked at that earlier jesus is the only way but god expects us in our lives to produce fruit to have a life that produces fruit to have a life that produces a harvest of good deeds for him and we can do that because we are given the ability, the power to do that through the, res- the resurrection uh, of Jesus. And just as I close, the last point I want to, to make, and this is, I think, a very, very important point to make in the climate that we are in in our world today. We can suffer well with Jesus. In Philippians 3 and 10, it says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead i want to suffer with him sharing in his death suffering comes in many forms and and many of us suffer physically we suffer illness we suffer long-term illness we suffer illness that might be something we have to live with many people suffer that with tremendous grace and they do it because they suffer it with the help of Jesus there's other sufferings that happen we pray often for our brothers and sisters in um, countries where Christians are persecuted what is it that keeps them going why is it that they will refuse to renounce the name of Jesus when they are told if they renounce his name they will be free from the prison that they are in or they will be free from the beatings that they are receiving why not just do it because they believe passionately of course in the persons whose name they are not prepared to renounce but as they go through that what keeps them going what keeps them going is uh, the resurrection um, power of jesus if you were living in ukraine this morning you would probably not be in a building like this with very very little noise outside you would be in a building that might be surrounded by rubble if you were even in a building and you would be in fear for what may happen at any time with a bomb landing very close to you and yet we have received news over the past week that the Ukrainian Christians are not only determined to to, to celebrate Easter once they're going to celebrate it twice because of the way that denominations work in Ukraine. Some denominations will celebrate it today, some will celebrate it next week. In the midst of horror, it's the only way you can describe what we are seeing on our television screens. In the midst of that horror, they are determined to meet and to celebrate Jesus' death And his resurrection. It means so much to them. Perhaps means more to them than it does to us this morning. And that's no disrespect to any of you. They know that at any time their lives might be taken from them. They are living with the horror of evil. And they're celebrating the fact that somebody destroyed that evil. Somebody had a victory over death and evil and that person is the person that they celebrate this morning unfortunately in our world we will still see and experience evil as they are but we have the comfort that one day there won't be dictators who decide that they're going to invade other countries and kill innocent people the ultimate victory of all time was gained by jesus not only on the cross when he was crucified but was gained when he rose again three days later proving that he is who he claimed to be that he has the power that he claimed he had and that he can do what he promises uh, to do what was the message given to these women he is not here he is risen That's the same message for us this morning. Jesus is still risen. He is still alive. We thought about that um, earlier. Let's praise God for that and let's move forward um, in the good of that fact that Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Father, the, there is no doubt that words can't fully capture what it is that we're thinking about this morning. We can say that Jesus rose from the dead and it doesn't seem to do justice to what that actually means. That he fulfilled that promise when he said, on the third day I will rise again, and that's just what he did. is difficult for us to to fully grasp the enormity of that and what it really means for us too. And we pray that through your Spirit you'll help us to understand more. You'll help us to grasp it more. And you'll help us to be astonished by it, thrilled by it, and to go forward with joy and with hope, a hope-based hope based in the tremendous power of the resurrection of the risen Jesus. We thank you for Jesus this morning. We thank you that he died for us, that he would allow people to mock him, spit on him and flog him and then nail him to a cross for us and that then he would gloriously rise again three days later showing the mighty power of God over death, and over evil. Father, we ask just for your help as we respond in worship now, in Jesus' name. Amen.